You've lived a great life and done well for yourself. But what mark will you leave on the world? How will you inspire future generations? Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand have helped thousands of people answer exactly those questions. If you've ever wondered, what will be my legacy? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Stan and Katie Beth. Welcome back to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Today, we have with us Dr. John Robert. Dr. John Robert is a pediatric specialist from Hot Springs National Park, Arkansas, and has over 51 years of experience in the medical field. Beyond that, he's recently gotten involved with a group called Kenya Relief, and he's going to tell us a lot about what they do with the project and how that is having an impact on the world. Welcome, Dr. Robert. We are so glad to have you with us on the show. Wonderful to be here with you. So, Dr. Robert, before we jump into anything else, can you give us the name of the project we're talking about today is the Kenya Relief Project. Could you give us just a really brief overview of what Kenya Relief is and tell us a little bit about what the project's focus is? Okay, Kenya Relief is an organization that was founded by Steve Jane in 2001. He's a certified nurse anesthetist. He founded this organization in memory of his daughter, Brittany, who died suddenly in 2001. And uh, he cashed in his retirement fund the next year and bought 16 acres of land in Magori, Kenya to establish an orphanage. And from that orphanage, other projects have emerged. A school, clinic, hospital that's now being built, a 60-bed hospital. And these water systems were actually actually a gift to me from him to allow me to, to uh, pursue this in Kenya under the auspices of his organization. So uh, I met him in 2006 and began working with him. And in, uh, the story emerges from that, but that was the beginning of it. I learned about his organization, like you said you know, previously in speaking with, with Stan. He's an ordinary guy. He's, he's not a multimillionaire. And so in order to fund this project, he put his life and his fortune into it. And when I learned about him, I decided this is a man that I need to meet. And so I called him and he let me go to Kenya in 2006 in April with the, with the team. And you have been back multiple times since then and even led a couple of teams. Is that correct? Been back. Uh, this year will be the 20th time, and uh, I've led over half those as, as a team leader. That is incredible. So is there anything, I know that his backstory and, and doing this in memory of his daughter is obviously a very powerful legacy. And I love what you said, that he's not a multimillionaire. This was something he was passionate about. I mean, he, he made real sacrifices to make this happen. What is it in particular about the Kenya Relief Project that drew you to it? Do you have you know, any sort of a history with that? Is it of, you know, a religious significance to you? What is it that made you feel like this was a worthwhile project and really sparked your interest in getting involved? Okay. I'll go back a long way because I, I started uh, with working in the development world and missions in 1992. It's about 30 years ago. And what called me to that was a friend, Danny Haynes, who's a dentist here in Hot Springs. 
And uh, Danny told me, he said, I'm going to Guasensi, Honduras. How would you like to go with me and, and be on a team? And uh, so I prayed about it and thought about it. And then the only verse that came to mind was in James, the book of James. I love him. He's such a practical guy. He says, therefore, to him who knows to do good, it does not do it. To him, it's sin. So it shifted the paradigm of doing bad things as being wrong to not doing good things as being wrong. And so I joined on that team. But what I realized, yeah, I went over the next 10 years on on five teams to Central and South America. I realized that we worked out of suitcases. We many times saw people that had never seen a physician before. And when we left, they possibly would never see a physician again. We brought our supplies in a suitcase. We worked in a school or church, or sometimes in the outdoors. And then when I learned about Kenya Relief, I learned that this was an organization that was building for the long term. And so they started small in the same way that we did. Suitcase, pickup truck, under a shade tree, seeing patients in the open, and then very quickly built an orphanage, built a clinic, built a small hospital, built a school, you know, started thinking in terms of longevity. And now we have a fully operational clinic that has a pharmacy, a lab, x-ray, has five surgical suites, five eye lanes for ophthalmologists, has a 28-bed recovery hospital, an orphanage with 100 children in it, a school with 750 children, and now the water systems, and we're building a million-dollar hospital, a 60-bed maternal child health hospital. And so I could see what I loved about it. I worked with organizations before that were set in stone. I thought, this is something that's malleable. This is something that I could be involved in where I could fit and where I could see something and contribute and not just be a part of a cog in a very giant wheel. So that's what was exciting about the whole thing. And then when I met Steve, I just fell in love with him. It was like, (laughs) I've known him all my life now. And uh, I was so inspired by his story, but also his passion for what he's doing. And he never, ever, ever gives up. His son now is a missionary on site. That's incredible. That is incredible. So you mentioned in there, and this is kind of my takeaway, you obviously there are ways that you can donate to Kenya Relief, and we'll talk a little bit about that here in a few minutes, but you could have easily just donated. Instead, you've actually made multiple trips to Kenya. You have led teams there to help. You've been boots on the ground, Jesus's hands and feet with these people. Tell us a little bit about the people that you met there, the impact that you are hoping to have on them, and then also the impact that they've had on you. Okay. They're family. I remember the first time I went, the children in the orphanage medicine sang a song, Welcome, Welcome Home. And and I felt, oh, wow, I'm home. And then at night, I listened to the children in the orphanage singing vespers in their own language. It was so beautiful that I had an old VCR and I set it on a post in the dark and listened to the 18 wheelers drive by and the crickets and looked up at the sky and listened to these children singing their beautiful songs. And I thought, they have hope. They have hope now. And so we sponsored the child that first year that I went there. My wife and I decided to sponsor a little girl named Mary Pillow. Mary had a horrible story like most of the orphanages in the clinic, children in the orphanage orphanage there she had um her father was an alcoholic he had attempted to murder her 
and her brother and sister and had murdered her mother and she had run away. She was found under a tree in a small town with a infected wound, scalp wound and leg wound and was picked up when Kenya Relief was still one of those under the tree things and took to Nairobi and had surgery. And she was coming back on the bus from Nairobi when I was going there on the team. I saw this beautiful little girl with plaited hair and she had a crutch and you know, it was just, and, and Steve said, how would you like to sponsor a child? The first team, he said, you know, usually team members sponsor. I said, yeah, we'd love to sponsor Mary. <laughs> and so we sponsored Mary for 10 years. We got her through school. She's now employed. She's married. And investing in her life changed our life to see her grow. And at first she was so frightened and so traumatized by the events of her life. But we saw over time she began to trust us. She began to believe us. She was very uncomfortable around men. And then this huge smile broke out. And then the last time I saw her, it was so amazing because I realized that her life had, had where she'd grown up, she had not had a father in her home and her father had been injurious to her. And I realized in the Bible that that fathers gave sons their blessing, but often daughters were neglected. Firstborn son got most of it and the other children got very little. And so Mary was in our, our lobby of our organization and she was sitting there and I said, Mary, I would like to bestow on you a father's blessing. And so my friend was there. We put our hands on her head and we blessed Mary in the name of Jesus and gave her a blessing that she was going to be she was going to be someone who changed her culture for good. And it's incredible because she was so shy. And my friend saw her leaving after we had prayed. And he said, what happened to Mary? He said she had this huge grin across her face. And he said, as I walked by, she gave me a high five. <laughs> she said, said, that's not the Mary I knew. So Mary is one of those people who trans." On my life, watching her and investing in her and seeing her grow and become a mature woman, a good woman, a good person, going to be a good mother, going to contribute to society. Probably that's one of the biggest blessings that I've received. That is incredible. And do you still get to see Mary every time you make a trip back? She's moved. She's in another city now. I've missed her the last trip there. I would love to have contact with her. The district that I work in is large. The, the surrounding area, the environs, the county is about 250,000 people. And so it's not a small town. It's not a small place. We think of it as little villages. But in, we're sending fielders out in every direction trying to contact her again. But with COVID, the people got dispersed. They had to move to work. She married. You know, so there, I would love to see her again. We now sponsor another little girl who is six years old. Her name is Brilliant. And we're starting that process over again with a with a young child. That is incredible. Now, do you and your wife have children of your own, Dr. Robert? Yes, we have uh, we have uh, two children, seven grandchildren, and one grand grandchild born last week. <laughs> that is wonderful. Congratulations, congratulations. So, have they been at all? Obviously, they know about your work with this project. Have they been at all involved with Kenya Relief or how have they been impacted by your interest and by your work with Kenya Relief? It's incredible because Mary became part of our family. Her name is Mary Akillo. 
the first girl we sponsored. And so we have family pictures. And my son is the director of the uh, pediatric ICU at Cedar sinai Hospital. And he went to Kenya with me in 2009. And so he's actually been to Kenya. And we have a family photo with Mary and Stephen, my son and I there. So, yeah, they're very involved in it. They've contributed to the work. We send supplies, we send money, but also Stephen's actually been on site. That is absolutely incredible and and such an incredible legacy. Stan, I know you're probably full of thoughts and questions. What questions do you have for Dr. Robert or about the project? I want to hear about the water wells. I've heard about that and I, I want to get, you know, I want to get the you know, the, the whole truth on that. Okay. Very, very interesting story because I was sent with uh, several members of the Kenya Relief Board Turkana District, Kenya, which is in the northwest corner by the Sudan and Ethiopia. We were going there to help another organization called Kids Against Hunger deliver food to that area where there's a huge refugee camp called Kakuma. So when we were in that area, we saw the results of a culture decimated by droughts for 10 years. And literally this pastoral culture, this herders and shepherds society had been decimated by the lack of water. And so I was coming back on the plane from Nairobi to Amsterdam. And I thought, I take care of many of the, the results of illnesses caused by water. So I get the downstream part of it. And it's really devastating because there's so many people harmed by bad water. Statistics are just staggering. 3.4 million people die from water-related diseases. Lancet tells us that there are more people that die from, from bad water than war, terrorism, and weapons of mass destruction. Over 4,000 Children die every day from bad water. And so as I was coming back, I thought, I'm already in Kenya. What if I could help somewhere with water? And then I thought to myself, I don't know anything about water. I know nothing about it. This is not my belly wit. And I've treated patients, but I'm there. And I thought, maybe I can network and do something to bring resources together to get water. And so God just started putting in my mind people that I knew. And it was incredible because my grandson lives in Charleston, South Carolina, which is the headquarters of Water Mission International. So Water Missions, uh, one of their engineers is Brad Reed, who just happens to be my grandson's best friend. And so we had dropped his friend off at the office, and I knew where Brad's office was. And so I texted him from Amsterdam, my grandson, and I said, I need Davis to give me his dad's phone number. So I can text him and see if I can learn a little bit about water. I also realized that my grand, my wife's nephew, Josh Munn, is a chemical engineer who just started working for Oxy in a chemical company in Houston, Texas. And I thought, well, here's another resource I can pull together and see about this. So, so I texted Josh and I said, Josh, would you be interested in thinking about developing a water system? So by the time I got back home, I got some friends together and we talked about it. I said, I need a little bit of seed money to make this happen. And uh, so we we talked to these two individuals and Josh actually agreed to join me in Kenya 
And about six months later, we were on the ground in Kenya looking at something that was pretty incredible. God orchestrates all these things. The British in 1952 had dug a series of impoundments in this district. So there are dams and water supplies for watering livestock and actually drinking water that's boiled. So there are these large impoundments of water, a series of them, a string of them that go from Magori, Kenya, where our base was, all the way to the Tanzanian border. And so the other thing that's really interesting about it, Water Missions International, the method of, of delivery of water is a patented system called the Living Water Purification System, which is self-contained, small, about half the size of your sofa, can be carried by two, four men on poles and employed in place and can filter water systems that are very impure, very simply with not a lot of technical uh, uh, supplies, really just rocks, gravel, sand, and what's called a Vituri coordinator. And so this was ideal for the system to be placed in a place where the British had put these impoundments. So the city that we chose is just, just about a mile and a half from where we live, called Naimomi, Kenya. We're in Magori, Kenya. And so we started to be in working with them. We thought that we didn't really know anything about this, and we had no angels. We had no large donors to give us money. We had friends and family. And so we had just a small kitty to deal with. But we had enough money to start investigating so that we could use these people's money wisely. Josh would run the figures from a company called Derby Engineering in Nairobi, Kenya, through what he knew from suppliers in the United States. And then Water Mission International would also send a proposal for development of the system. So within less than a year, we had a proposal from Derby Engineering, Water Mission International, and also some comparison figures from Josh from the United States about what a system should cost. And they all fell exactly in the same place. And so we elected to go with Water Missions uh, International. And within a year, we had placed a system in a community called Naimoma, Kenya. About 1,200 people there at the time. This community, since we've set up the system, the system's been in place since 2013. The community size has doubled, so there are now 2,500 people in this community. We expanded the system in 2019, so we have a more accessible venue to give some water to the community, and also the community envisions bottled water and selling water in that community. In 2014, we did the same thing in another community of 2,500 people, and this time had a much larger system that encompassed about pipes of about three and a half miles, two schools, a school of, 100, of 800 children, a community of 2,500. And that community has doubled in size since 2014, and the schools doubled in size. Water is life, and these are how these systems take place. So this is the skinny of how it's all happened. So let me ask you, do you have data? You've been doing this long enough now. Do you have data that in any way is able to measure the impact of what clean water is doing on the health of these kids or these, not just kids, I guess it's adults, everybody, right? Yeah. It's the data is there from the world health organization. Uh, every dollar you spend, spend. 
you get an $8 return in improved health in the community. <laughs> That's a pretty good return on investment. That's a pretty good return on investment. Yep. Yeah. I'll give you another so, example. Not just the water supply, though. Uh, we were involved in trying to develop this system in Naomi, and it was in the interim. So it was during that year that we were working to develop that first system that there was there was a cholera epidemic in Kenya. It hit three cities. Uh, it hit Kasumu, hit Magori, and it hit Nairobi. And one of the things at this point in time, Kenya Relief had been there for about 10 years. One of the things that the, uh, the Kenyan government did was to study the rapidity at which the community responded to it and the mortality rate. And the mortality rate in Magori was 10 times less than Nairobi or Kisumu. Identification cases, they had their index case, they isolated cases, they quickly treated those people that were, that were ill. And so these things happen fast. And so your very presence in a place, not just what you do, but your very presence starts to develop an infrastructure that leads to rapid response in crises. Yeah, that that is awesome. So the I'm curious, you know, what, you know, this, I really want to hear you talk a little bit about the impact this initiative has had on your own life and the impact it's had on the lives of your children and now and now uh, grandchildren. Okay. One of the things, too, I, I don't want to neglect. Uh, no, no, go wife, ahead. My, my wife has been on mission trips with me before. She's been to Peru and Honduras. She's had some health issues that keep her from traveling to Africa. But I love it, the, the saying, those who those serve who only wait. <laughs> She's waited and, and manned the fort here at home while I was gone. And uh, it's there's been a significant amount of economic cost to be involved in missions. Uh, there's some isolation involved while you travel and your family's alone. My son's been impacted by this. My grandchildren have been impacted. We've got a, a granddaughter who is an on-fire believer who's uh, 18 years old now and uh, who loves this and wants to go. Our church has been involved with it in prayer and supporting this ministry too. And so it ripples out. I think the first thing to say is when you, the first time you're exposed to the developing world and you realize that people live so differently than you do, you're never, ever the same. I remember when I came back the first time I had culture shock both ways because there were two things that impacted me. Number one is how little people have. And number two is how happy people in the developing world are. And and uh, I really pondered that. And it, it, I was in shock for probably about three months after that trip trying to figure that out. And then I realized there was a book written later called When Helping Hurts. Sometimes we as, as believers tend to believe that material poverty uh, equates to spiritual poverty, and it doesn't. In fact, they're all often inversely related. So many times material poverty results in spiritual perspective and wealth, and material poverty <laughs> results in material prosperity results in, in, in spiritual poverty because we tend to trust in our things. And so it was a lesson learned. And so not only 
did I impact things there? But that impacted me in a way so that was I was totally different. At first, I was angry with Americans because they had so much and were so selfish. And then I felt sorry for Americans because they had so much and were so afraid, not comfortable, not happy, not secure, you know. And so it increased my compassion, not only for the developing world, but for my patients and families that I dealt with every day. It's a good answer. I'm glad I asked that question. That was was a great answer. That was a great answer. Dr. Robert, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about what you do or about the Kenya Relief Project? I would just ask them to get on the website and peruse the opportunities to be involved. And uh, we've had people that have gone on trips. We've had nurses particularly. We have 22 medical teams that go to Kenya every year. Those teams vary in number smaller teams with medical problems, larger surgical teams, up to 25 people. We do up to 50 surgeries in a three-day period. We see four to 700 patients. We went to outpatient to orphanages. There are lots of ways to get involved. We've, we've had people go that couldn't afford to go, but who had sponsors. They did a GoFundMe, and someone did it. We had a nurse in an operating room the first black nurse that we ever had go to Kenya could not afford to go to Kenya. She was a scrub nurse in an operating room and she told the surgeons, I want to go to Kenya. (laughs) And they said, I don't want to go to Kenya, but I can pay for you to go to Kenya. And so she went, it was amazing to see her there and to connect with her people, you know? And so it was so great. So that's one thing you can give, you can go, you can sponsor someone else to go. Their needs for supplies. We not only have medical teams that would go, we have vacation Bible school teams, we have construction teams. We have a compound now that's 60 acres. And so we have um, security and people who go there as security consultants. We're now going to have a state of the art hospital that's going to have maintenance requirements for HVAC and computers and all sorts of things. Electrical, electricians are needed. The water system is still there. If they want to contribute to that directly, it's called John Roberts Water Fund. And, uh, but there are a number of things. I would ask them, like I did, to, to whatever your passion is. And if you don't have passion, I feel sorry for you. But whatever your passion is, whatever you see your passion to be, there's an opportunity with this organization to be a part of it. It's small. It's well-managed. It's run by people whose heart is for good. And in this world, sometimes you get a little jaded about organizations, but I can guarantee you firsthand, I've looked at it from the inside out. There's nothing, nothing that's not done in a way that's, uh, that's aimed toward excellence. That's incredible. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today has been Dr. John Robert. To find out more about what Dr. John Robert is doing and the Kenya Relief Project, to donate or to get involved, visit kenyarelief.org. Dr. Robert, it was so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. 
If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Stan and Katie Beth, go to PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. You can also find links in the show notes.